From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. Welcome. I'm Ben Schachman. Thank you for joining us. This episode is about allegations of a toxic workplace at Cape Fear Community College, as detailed in a three-part series from our own Rachel Keith. But before we get into that, I want to cover a little backstory and disclose my own history with these issues. The chain of events that led to Rachel's reporting goes back to at least 2015. That's when President Dr. Ted Spring, who was accused of unethical spending and self-gifting, resigned. Spring then turned around and sued the college, claiming he had been forced to resign. The lawsuit dragged on for two and a half years. Then, in October of 2017, a settlement was announced. On the very same day, Spring's replacement, the well-liked and well-respected Dr. Amanda Lee, resigned, somewhat mysteriously. Then, in the spring of 2018, the Board of Trustees hired Jim Morton, who had previously been the vice president and had served as interim president. The move was met with criticism. There was no search committee convened, and Morton was the only candidate considered. He was also one of only three college presidents in the state to not have a doctorate. Of the other two, one had a law degree and the other had served for 30 years. Morton's salary, almost a quarter million dollars, also appeared to be in excess of state guidelines. Around that time, I was the assistant editor at Port City Daily. I was sitting at my desk when I received a phone call from an elected official. They asked if I could find a quiet place to talk off the record. I was on deadline, but I was also intrigued. So I stepped into an empty studio and I listened. The official told me a toxic workplace was developing at CFCC. Faculty were scared for their jobs. There was intimidation and retaliation for those who tried to stand up to it. The official gave me a few numbers to call, but said they themselves couldn't publicly speak out. Over the next five or six months, I made a lot of calls and even met with a few CFCC employees in person. And they confirmed what the elected official had told me. They said they felt replaceable, especially humanities professors, who sensed the college was being turned into a vocational institute. The faculty were, in a word, scared. Too scared to go on the record. Port City Daily didn't use anonymous sources, and no one was talking openly about the college, so I'd hit a dead end. There was so much else to cover, so much else going on, that I begrudgingly let the CFCC story go. Over the next year, I kept hearing rumors. Then, in early 2020, WECT released an expose with on-the-record allegations against Morton and his administration. I remember thinking, this will shake things up. But the Board of Trustees circled the wagons and continued to back Morton. Ann McAdams, the investigative reporter who filed the report, had been following CFCC for years, and she was accused of bias. As evidence, then-Board Chair Pat Cusack noted that WECT was the only outlet covering the toxic workplace allegations. I remember feeling guilty for having let the story go. Rachel Keith's reporting from last week builds on Ann's reporting and details how faculty felt, at least momentarily, vindicated when their story was told, and then how they felt crushed when nothing changed or got worse. So before we get to Rachel's three-part series, and believe me, we will get into it, I wanted to talk to Anne to help add some history and some context to this story. So my guest now is WECT investigative reporter Anne McAdams. Anne, thanks so much for being with us. Hello, thanks for having me. So you've been covering the Cape Fear Community College for a long time. I wanted to just 
briefly go back and talk about some of the first reporting you did on it around former President Ted Spring. What do you remember about that? So the way that story came about was we were doing a look into government spending, and we took about five or six public organizations and just asked for all of their spending receipts for the last year, and then just sort of would go through them and look to see if anything looked unusual. And CFCC's was the last organization that we went through. They gave us a huge binder. And by that point, I think the first four or five, we found a couple of interesting things, but not that much. And so when it came to CFCC, do we still want to do this story? Before I spend hours and hours going through this, do we want to do it? And my boss at the time, Scott Saxton, was like, yes, go through it. And we found some stuff. We found some airline tickets for President Spring and his wife at the time that were upgraded, I think, to at least business class um, out to California for a conference. And we found a few other things that just sort of raised our eyebrows that seemed unusual and um, started looking into it. And then it just snowballed. They were very defensive when we asked about these charges, which isn't unusual, but very defensive. And um, then people started coming to us with other information they thought we might find interesting just about President Spring's leadership style and other questionable things they thought he had done. So that's how that happened. Then, of course, after Ted Spring, there was the lawsuit, there was a settlement, the semi-mysterious disappearance of former President Amanda Lee. Yes. So um, we were still, even though we discovered some unusual things about his spending and unusual things about uh, there was a rental car that was kind of odd the way the um, arrangement went, we still thought it was just it was a survivable problem. And then all of a sudden we're at a, a CFCC board meeting and they go into closed session and we get word he has resigned. We were as surprised as anybody. It, you know, it looked bad, but it didn't look like this is the end of your job. Then, it, as I recall, he felt forced to resign. And that was the crux of the lawsuit. And I believe he either won or they settled, but it, it just was at the end, just a mess. Yeah, they, they settled um, for a, a tidy sum, I might yeah. add. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, flash, uh, flash forward a couple years. How did you start basically working on this story about the sort of workplace climate under uh, President Jim Morton? So, um, the Sharon Smith, who was the HR outgoing executive director of Human Resources, contacted us and just said, I've got some concerning information about what's going on with Jim Morton at the college. And keep in mind, we'd already done a little um, reporting when he became the president because his background was, you know, I think he has a bachelor's in marketing from UNCW. He had had a history at the airport. And for him to come in at the college with basically no background in education and within two years become the president and in a roundabout way sort of oust somebody who did have a background in education and from what we could tell was very well respected and well regarded, especially after the tumultuous years with Ted Spring. It was just, um, it was surprising. So we did coverage on the fact that he didn't have the traditional background, especially in an education environment with a whole host of people who have a background in education that was not respected or appreciated. So the, the outgoing HR director came to you, said she had some concerning information. What happened next? So at first when she contacted me, I just thought, if I never do another CFCC story in my life, it will be too soon. I don't want to do anymore. I, I don't want people to think that I personally have something against CFCC. I don't, it's, I'm just doing my job. I'm just reporting on information that we feel like is newsworthy. But, you know, you do enough coverage on a certain story and people see, make connections that aren't necessarily there to make and, and would say that I had something out for CFCC, which I didn't. So... I was reluctant to take her 
story on, but she came down and met with us and had audio recordings of concerning things that the president and his executive assistant were saying about top leadership of the college, and it just gave it a little bit more merit. And she was a pretty big person to be coming forward with this, and she had a very inside seat. So we felt like, despite my personal misgivings about doing any other coverage ever on CFCC, I couldn't not do this story. So eventually you would get two on-the-record sources, um, which we'll have links to that on the page if you want to go and hear what they had to say, which is obviously a you know compelling part of the story. But as a journalist, I think part of what struck me was just you pointed out specifically the number of anonymous sources that you'd also spoken to, which sometimes gets left to the side in a story. And I'm just curious, you know, how did that sort of unfold? Again, without without naming specific names. Sure. In 20 years of reporting, I have never had that many people come forward to me about a single story to say, yes, this is what's going on. It's a hostile workplace. We're concerned. We've never seen anything like this in our entire career. I just thought, wow. And, and some of the people that were reaching out to me were very respected people in very high levels of leadership. And it was it was very compelling to me that there is something here. This is not just people, you know, people get a new boss sometimes and they don't like the new boss and, and they complain, but it was more than that. So we felt like there was even more merit to the story that Sh- uh, Sharon had brought to our attention. We had the outgoing IT director say similar things, say that he felt pressured to do improper things, um, look into confidential complaints that had come in from employees about the president, and the president wanted to see those complaints and asked his executive assistant basically to get into the hard drive so he could see who was complaining about him. We had people who were, again, senior people at the school saying the president asked them to do handwriting samples to try to figure out who had filled out these complaints against him. And it just thought, you know, they just said it's like a police state. And and looking at what they were showing me, I thought, I see why you think that. Can you say a little bit about, you know, what kind of concerns do they have that made them want to stay anonymous? Obviously, these are well-established people. What were their fears? Their fears were they had seen other people who had come forward early on and their careers turned sideways, um, that all of a sudden they went from being, you know, the golden child of, of this college system to feeling like, do I even have a job anymore? Or th- it became so unpleasant for them that they sped up plans for retirement or whatever. So I don't think these were misguided concerns of theirs, that they could have something very big to lose for coming forward, especially when I started reporting on it and I started getting personally attacked by senior people at the college who accused me of having a dog in the fight. What was that like? You know, again, as you said, you you had no personal beef with CFCC uh, and you were singled out by then chair Pat Cusick, who didn't name you, but basically named you. I mean, as a reporter, what's that like? So I will never forget it. And we are sitting in a packed audience. Uh, you know, usually board members aren't that well attended, but with all the craziness that had been going on, this the room, there was no empty seats. This was right after your first piece had dropped. Yes. And so all these faculty members came out hoping that, you know, now that 30 people have come forward, even if they're on background, you know, this there's something here. Please listen to us. And um, so all these folks are in the room waiting to hear what they will say. And almost immediately, they just said, we think Jim Morton's doing a great job. We think the college has been, you know, never been better. Um, just completely dismissive of all these folks' concerns. So you could just feel, like, the energy, like, leaving their bodies um, and just people, just their shoulders slumping. And so then all of a sudden, Pat Kusak, who was the chair, gets up and just said, I just find it very unfortunate that there is one reporter from one news organization who has, you know, taken it on herself to, you know, she she basically was dismissing that there was any merit to the story, calling me out very obviously. And I was the 
I think I was the only reporter in the room. And I just, you know, was taking my notes and then all of a sudden realized she's talking about me. And it was almost like an out-of-body experience, like, what is happening? And, like, people kind of looked over at me, like, most of them were faculty members. You could kind of feel, like, the sympathy coming out. And many of them contacted me afterwards and just apologized to me that that had happened. But I can only remember one other time in my 20 years reporting where that has happened. And it was former state senator R.C. Souls. There was a lot of unflattering coverage that was coming out about him. And it was, you know, all based in fact. Um, but he attacked the messenger, me, in uh, another newspaper out in the Columbus County area. And I just read this article about, you know, I meant for her to get out of my office. And I just I just rem- that was the only other time that I felt like so personally called out for just doing my job. Uh, I have a little bit of experience with that. Not quite that dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the board meeting while I'm sitting there. That's right. pretty, that's it was, something. It was bold. Yeah. If you're just joining us, you're listening to The Newsroom from WHQR Public Media. My guest right now is WECT investigative reporter Ann McAdams talking about her experience reporting on Cape Fear Community College. So we've heard uh, through Rachel Keith's reporting, we've heard from uh, current and former CFCC employees who were kind of really excited, not kind of, they were definitely really excited about your reporting, uh, not because they wanted to see someone take CFCC down because they loved the college and they love working there. They thought this would actually change things. Did you, what was that like for you? Did you think, okay, certainly they'll have to do something after this? For example, the, you know, the third party survey that Peter Hans, who was the president of the college system, suggested. Sure. Even without that, you would have just thought the board might have at least reflected a little bit. Like, are we doing it? You know, you would have thought there was some room. And basically they just dismissed it and said, we don't have any current employees who have filed a formal grievance. All we have is these two some of our senior leadership, but two of our ex-employees who came out on the record as soon as they left saying, you know, we have problems. So I just couldn't believe how dismissive it was. What would, what would you think the sort of, you know, structural administrative changes might look like? After so you something. It? I just expected something or at least giving, gosh, at least giving a little lip service to like, you know, we're we are concerned that there are these concerns, but there was none of that. And then... Um, you know, Peter Hans suggested that they do the climate survey and a state and national media outlet picked up on this story, which helped after I'd been called out by Pat Kusek for being the only reporter and the only news outlet that thought this story was worth covering when it did get some state and national attention. And they were those outlets basically said, you know, instead of the board policing their employees and, and policing the president, they're in league with him. They're all just kind of like looking out for each other's back. And that was the, that was the takeaway from, I believe, the national outlet. It, it was concerning. They just didn't do anything about it. And so you would have thought, this is compelling evidence. These are high up people. We are telling you, we have no reason to lie that there's 30 people that have come to us and said it is bad and they're senior people. So at some point, honestly, it became like, what's the point? What's the point of doing any more stories? The board is on board with President Jim Morton, no matter what he does or how unpopular he is with the rank and file. They've got his back. And I'm, I'm wasting my breath and wasting my efforts doing any more stories. Sorry to the poor folks at CFCC who feel this way, but I don't know how it's to help you. Right. And you, I mean, in your defense, you have five or six counties worth of governments to cover. Sure. And no shortage of shenanigans. Right. And you like to think that your work makes a difference. And I just felt like it wasn't making a difference here. I think it might have been at least short term validating to some of the people who felt like they couldn't be heard. But as far as like affecting any change or even 
pretending to affect change, pretending like we're listening. There wasn't. It was almost like taking pride in we don't care. This is what we want to do. And don't question us. Yeah. So it's been you know over a year and a half since those first articles came out. Um, have you heard from folks at CFCC since then? I have. I would say less. I think they probably felt some of the same dejected, like, what's the point feelings. But there are um, a few folks out there, longtime sources of mine, who have continued to reach out and just say, this is going on or this is going on. And like you said, I've got five or six counties worth of news, and it just hasn't, I haven't been able to put it back on my plate as something to put energy into when I felt like it wasn't going to matter. But I was thrilled to see y'all's reporting and knowing that, like, uh, maybe you'll have, maybe, you know, enough time has passed or something will have changed that this, um, I think the same concerns still exist. Well, our work certainly wouldn't have been possible without yours, so we are grateful. Uh, anything else you'd want to say? I don't, I don't think so, except thank you, seriously, for doing this story, because our job as reporters is to just tell the facts, but you can't help but be affected sometimes when people tell you these things and, you, and you're trying to get the truth out there and it doesn't matter. Like, you feel like it doesn't matter, so I'm thanking you for continuing to try something that I felt like I think it would be too strong to say it was a fail um, to get these people the attention they were looking for, but I just felt like I didn't have the impact that I had hoped to help these folks with, and I hope that you will have um, more success. Progress takes time, I think. Yes. All right. Ann McAdams, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, coming up later on the show, we will unpack Rachel Keith's three-part series on Cape Fear Community College, and we'll hear some of the feedback we've received since it published. You're listening to The Newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman, joined now by our own Rachel Keith, here to talk about her three-part series on the Cape Fear Community College. Rachel, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Now, later in the program, we're going to get into some of the responses that we've received following the publication of this series. But before we do that, I want to break down some of the key parts of these stories. And I think the best place to start is helping us unpack how did this story come about? Yes, so I believe that sources came to you and were talking about the faculty climate survey that was never released, and they also talked about some issues with the faculty and staff handbook. So what we did was we asked for public records of emails with key terms like faculty morale and faculty association climate survey to see if we could get the survey and issues with the handbook in these emails to investigate what was going on. Yeah, and that was, you know, an important step because while I had heard things in the past, they had all been off the record. Uh, what we, what you and I talked about was that this faculty survey, you know, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but it, it was, you know, a quantitative document that was going to show what was going on. So yes. that's why we wanted that. So tell me a little bit about how difficult it was to report on a, you know, a toxic workplace story. Yeah, this is tough. I don't think any reporter wants to get into office dynamics or he said, she said types of things. But when we looked through the documentation and all the records and the two people, the former employees who are willing to go on the record and with all of the reporting that WECT did in January of 2020, 
we thought we do need to look into this and this is a public institution so we felt with all of the information that we gathered that this was a story that we needed to tell and that the community needed to hear so let's let's break this down. There were th- kind of three big moving pieces in your series. There was there was two high profile employees um, who had both resigned and both gave you on the record conversations. So that was important. Yes. Uh, there was a, a faculty climate survey which was kind of suppressed. Uh, it had been partially completed. Not everyone had answered it, but there was you know a lot of data there that had never seen the light of day. And the last thing was uh, changes made to the faculty and. Uh, the, sorry, the staff and faculty handbook. So I want to start with the, um, the faculty survey. Let's talk about how did that sort of shape your reporting? Let's see. This is difficult to answer because through the email requests, we could see the back and forths between the president of the faculty association, Dr. Eric Brandon, and the secretary, Chardon Murray, who is one of our on-the-record sources, and then also the vice president, Suzanne Baker. And there's a lot of back and forth in these emails saying, are we going to be able to release this? We look at the board of trustees meetings where Dr. Brandon in January of 2021 tells the Board of Trustees we're still tabulating the data and we're hoping to share this later. And then through the emails, we also see Dr. Brandon saying we can't release it because of the sample size. We can't release it because potentially we can't maintain confidentiality and that it's not randomized. But then we see the results and the results are not looking good for the board or President Morton. Things are looking good for department leadership. People feel the faculty feel good about that, but it's not looking very good for, again, the board and the president. So, yeah, this was a major issue um, for the administration was that the the sample, the quote unquote sample size of the survey was too small. But I want you to put that in context a little bit. Um, you had to do a little digging, actually figure out how representative this was of the faculty. What yes, did you find out? Yes, I did. And I asked the college for their numbers of full-time employees, part-time employees, and staff. And I didn't get that information, so I had to go through the North Carolina Community College system to get the numbers. And yes, the survey did not, no staff members answered the survey. So it was solely a faculty climate survey. The part-time employees did not answer the survey really at all, but 35% of the full-time employees answered this survey. So it is fairly representative of a third of the full-time faculty, how they are feeling about the situation at the college. Uh, One other thing I wanted to touch on with the faculty survey, and this was as your reporting was unfolding, several employees at CFCC shared with us an email that President Jim Morton had sent where he essentially um, w- was trying to put the blame on a, on a whistleblower, saying you know someone had released the survey. What An happened? unauthorized person was the exact uh, phrase that he used. And you and I both knew that we got this survey directly from a public records request, and we took a screenshot of President Morton's email, and we had to show the public that in fact we did get this from the head of IT fulfilling doing his job and fulfilling a public records request. So we had to make that a point and we to this day don't know what happened. There was a miscommunication. We don't know what happened there, but you and I did receive this survey through a legitimate way. 
Yeah, uh, all, all I think I should say about that is that um, we did call the college. We, we did ask for either a retraction or an apology from Jim Morton because he was essentially calling us liars. Um, right. And, you know, trying, in my personal opinion, seeming like he was you know, trying to put some pressure on staff at CFCC, suggesting that someone had, you know, quote, unquote, leaked this. Right. When really this was just the normal way that a public records request works. So that was, yeah. I, I got to say that was frustrating. And I mean, this is a general transparency issue. I mean, if if they were committed to transparency, this shouldn't have been potentially an issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm, let's leave it at that. But yeah, that was, <laughs> that was frustrating. Uh, all right, so moving on, I want to talk about the two women who went on the record with you. Sure. And uh, and we'll touch on this later in the program about, you know, what some of the reaction about them was and, and what was said about them. But what, what was your takeaway? What were where were they coming from when they spoke to you? Yeah, Chardon Murray, uh, she was at the college for eight years. Suzanne Baker was at the college for 14 years. Suzanne Baker was the director for the Center of Professional Excellence. Um, they both took leadership positions in the faculty association. They had a vested interest in the college and their work and the people that worked there. They could say only good things about the students that they interacted with, with a lot of their direct leadership. But they were trying to make some changes. And from the past year, it sounds like things have gotten worse from the January 2020 WECT reporting. And basically the the environment got so bad that they had to resign and when they resigned they felt like they could go on the record and tell us their story yeah i i do think that's interesting this is the the second time this kind of thing has happened um you yes know, previously with the wc reporting with uh sharon smith and uh, kumar lakavani that's right um felt in a very similar situation they they cared about the college but they just didn't feel safe talking to the media until they were effectively safely resigned Right. Okay. So here's here's a thing that we hear a lot about um, is that you know, and and we talked earlier to Ann McAdams about how she experienced this kind of pushback where someone will suggest a reporter is just out to get an institution. Right. Um, you, I can say this because I watched it happen for several weeks. You worked your ass off <laughs> trying to get the other side of the story. Tell me what that was like. Yeah, I went ahead, basically the public information officer, her name is Sonia Johnson. I said, Sonia, I would like to get an interview with President Jim Morton and the chair, Bill Cherry, about X, Y, and Z, basically about this faculty climate survey, about transparency issues at the college, very general things that I would like to have a conversation with them about. And I didn't hear back, and I was supposed to go through an online form. This wasn't a request I could make in an email, so I went through the proper channels. I gave that about a week, and then in the meantime, I called the Board of Trustees uh, member, Jonathan Barfield. I also sent Bill Cherry some emails. I also tried to give Deborah Dix Maxwell, she's the new trustee member, just a chance. She can't speak to anything that's happened in the past, but she could speak to maybe how she views the college and what she wants to do with her leadership. I didn't hear anything. This story was hard to write, and there are some accusations in here. So I tried to send about 20 questions to the college and said explicitly, this is what the story is about. I would like you to comment on this. There was no response to that. I also sent the questions that I wanted answered to Bill Cherry and to Jonathan Barfield, and I didn't hear back from that. 
So it was frustrating because it's our due diligence that we have to do to ask both sides about this contentious issue and you'd want both sides to weigh in so that you have a full picture of what's going on here and we didn't have that. And that was obviously frustrating for you because your goal here again was not to get CFCC but it was just to paint an accurate picture of what was going on. Yeah what's your reaction to this? This is what we have. It's a document. It's a living document. So what's your reaction? We need to talk about this. Yeah uh, you know another thing I want to make a point of is here is that we were you had you had 21 questions. I remember them. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And you know we were asked to send them through the college's public record request portal which a lot of government institutions have. It's a good way to streamline Um, But the way public records work in North Carolina and in most other states is that it's for existing documents. So if we wanted emails or uh, contracts or stuff like that, you you can give them keywords, you can give them timeframes. And, you know, as long as they're not protected by certain parts of the North Carolina state statutes, uh, the the government hands them over. Uh, At the federal level, this is called FOIA. Locally, it's called a public records request. So some of the things we asked for, like the emails, initial public records request, that's a public record. We were requesting it. But you had questions that are more, you know, about humans, you know, responses to things. As an administrator, as a, you know, as a board of trustee member, those aren't documents. There's, so being asked to go through that portal was strange. It was strange. And I can say that no other city or county government technically makes you ask, how, how do contracts work at the college? No, it has to go through the form. So... It was just kind of frustrating trying to get accurate information from the college when I just asked directly, this is what I'm looking for. Can we talk about it? And no, it had to go through the form. And then the form wasn't responded to either. Yeah. And I, I will say the other thing is that, you know, you it, 21 sending tw- someone 21 questions in an email may sound like overkill, but that is sort of what would have constituted the body of an interview. That's correct. Those are things you would have worked through sitting down with someone. And some of these questions, I remember, you know, an important question you asked was, you know, how are you increasing transparency? It's one of the concerns we've heard about in the college. And so what did the college, they gave you two reasons why they weren't going to answer any of these questions. What were those reasons? They were the protection of personnel records or personnel issues. And then also the fact that they didn't release the survey. Um, And then I had other questions like, would you consider live streaming the board of trustees meeting? Why could you consider releasing the agendas before each meeting? Simple upfront questions, I I thought. Yeah, that, you know, and again, yeah, I've been reporting on on government and, and trying to work within the constraints of public, you know, records laws for a long time. And I've never seen questions like that deflected with personnel law because that's just not how personnel law works. That's right. I'm not an attorney, but I've never seen anything like that. And it just, it seems like the whole, your whole list of questions was just sort of, you know, ejected. And I, I know that was frustrating for you. So, um, all right, we're coming up against a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about the reactions that you've heard yeah. from the story. Because that's almost as important as the story itself, I think. All right. Well, coming up after the break, more with Rachel Keith about her three-part series on Cape Fear Community College. I'm Ben Shockman. You're listening to The Newsroom. Please stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman. 
And I'm here with WHQR's own Rachel Keith. We're talking about her three-part series on Cape Fear Community College. Rachel, one thing we didn't get to in the last segment was the employee and faculty handbook. And I think this is important because it segues into some of the uh, responses we've gotten. But before we get to that, just give us a little overview of what was going on with this handbook. Yeah, it looks like from the Faculty Association minutes from December 2020 and then also through some of the emails that we got that the Faculty Association were asking for clarification about how changes to the handbook are made and that Chardon Murray went back through several minutes from past years and it looked like the changes followed some type of process and that faculty could give comments about the changes. And it appears that changes recently were just made and just communicated and there was no time for debate or the uh, administration and the board did not make an attempt, it looks like, as they say, as Chardon Murray and Suzanne Baker say, to explain how, how these changes were made. And one change that was particularly concerning to Murray and Baker was a section in the retaliate or in the uh, grievance process that said explicitly how to file a grievance against the college president and that it was a process that you would go through with the board of trustees and now that is entirely gone and then with my questions that I sent to the college I said how would one file a grievance against the president and there was no response to that. Another section that Murray and Baker told you about was the removal of the phrase uh, good employee relations. Yes. Which was replaced with some other you know legal sounding language but from the people we talked to uh, it, it sent a particular kind of message. Especially when they're already on edge from January 2020 and things are still according to them getting worse and then they see the these phrases disappear. It was concerning to them. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So this this leads us into some of the things we heard after these articles published and aired on the radio. Um, so let's start with that. Uh, what did you hear? Yeah, I got seven current and former employees of the college that contacted me. Two were positive about Morton and his leadership of the college and five said that our reporting confirmed what they've experienced and even the former HR director, Sharon Smith, who was one of the on-record employees in the WECT January 2020 investigation, she reached back out to me to clarify some points that uh, the board of trustees member, Jimmy Hopkins, after we had published, he said he wanted to talk. And I tried to tell him I did go through the proper channels. I tried to talk to the chair because that's supposed to be the voice of the board. But we had an on-the-record conversation, which I did turn into a piece to kind of answer some of these claims that Murray and Baker were making. So here's one of the things uh, Mr. Hopkins had to say to you during that interview. So the office could have been handled better informing faculty, students, staff, the community of everything we did to take it seriously. So I think we dug in. We did the research. We talked to the state board, state office. So I think... The, again, the optics of how it was put out to the public of what all we had done could have been done a little better and not just say everything's great. So <laughs> he's talking at least in part about uh, something Ann McAdams told us about, which was the reaction of the board during that meeting right after the report dropped. But he, he told you that they, they did take these claims seriously. Yeah, they did. And that's what he said. And um 
he did see the optics, which he said that to say that everything's great because that's essentially what happened at the board of trustee meeting after the January 2020 investigation dropped. It looked like to the public that nothing to see here and that there are no complaints that we can corroborate. And Jim Morton's doing a great job. So he told you something else, too, and this was something we, we heard at the time of the 2020 WECT report, which was that you know no one had filled out the proper grievance process, which, as you noted in your reporting, no longer exists after the change to the faculty handbook. Um, but here's Jimmy Hopkins uh, on that issue. And like I said, we had no name on the complaint, not one. Nobody stepping forward and saying, my name is, and here you go. Former employee or not at that point. But Sharon Smith told you something a little bit different. Yeah, Sharon Smith, in an email that she sent to me, she said, quote, I just wanted you to know that I have a copy of the two emails I sent directly to two of the board members on my last day of employment with CFCC. You can see the timestamps of these emails. Both letters were sent with genuine interest in speaking with them to share feedback, and I certainly signed my name, including my email address and my cell phone number, and I am certain those letters were transmitted among the board at that time. So to say that there was no name on the complaint is blatantly false. So that is what Sharon Smith, she felt like she wanted to contact me to correct the record of what Jimmy Hopkins was saying, and she sent the timestamps and the emails from Jonathan Barfield and Paula Sewell. So it looks like they received those in an email, and we, we don't know. It's kind of a mystery how this there's this miscommunication that Sharon Smith was trying to contact the board, and the board doesn't know that she existed. Right. So again, to be clear, it may be true that no one contacted Jimmy Hopkins directly, and it may be true that no one went through the official handbook certified you know, grievance process. But that information has been put out in the past to suggest that there were no complaints. And that's, according to Sharon Smith, not true. Yeah. And she went on further to say, quote, I have several recorded conversations to back up my claims that show the true character of the leadership in the president's office. I can honestly say that no one from the board ever reached out to me at all to discuss these serious issues. Neither Sewell uh, nor Barfield ever replied. And if there was a due diligence effort in investigating those claims, I was never contacted, end quote. So, I mean, she was very public along with Kumar Lakavani about their complaints. They were in the media. The board of trustees knew who they were and what their claims were. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, uh, Hopkins also told you that he had received, you know, positive support after the articles came out. Uh, What did he tell you about that? Yeah, he said that he got about 35 emails after the WECT story broke saying, I'm glad you stood up for Jim Morton and we appreciate his leadership. And I'm glad that you all were in his corner. And then Sharon Smith said to that, and quote, to argue that you have 35 or so positive supportive emails for the president and zero complaints. Well, you can't just cancel out the 35 or so legitimate complaints that went to the media because those people were too afraid to go to the board and then just willfully ignore the problem. So we have Jimmy Hopkins saying People were so glad that the board stood up for the leadership because a lot of people support them. Um, And then we have Sharon Smith saying that the people who are airing grievances didn't have a fair shake. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the other people who reached out to us. Some people wanted to remain anonymous because of these concerns that we've been discussing all throughout this story. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yes, so I have three anonymous sources. Two are former employees. One is a current one. The one fears his job, and the other two don't want to tell their story because it could jeopardize some of their colleagues who still work at the college. So here's one comment from Anonymous One, quote, after hearing from friends that still work at CFCC express concerns that any criticisms I levy at the administration and or especially within my old department might motivate the higher ups to single out those friends for retaliation. So sad, but true, end quote. So basically, this person told me that they thought the environment was so toxic, so they resigned. But this person also said they reached out to two lawyers that thought they had a good case for a wrongful termination type of suit, but that they were essentially discouraged from moving forward because of legal costs that it would it would entail. Yeah. Um, so there was another anonymous source who also felt that your reporting over the last uh, week and a half kind of accurately painted a picture of what's going on at the college. Yeah, here it is. Quote, you have accurately portrayed many of the concerns felt by CFCC faculty. Also, I just listened to the brief interview with Jimmy Hopkins. While I appreciate his open-door sentiment, perhaps he can read your article a bit more carefully to understand why faculty have not knocked on his door in recent years, end quote. And again, this person went on to say that they are fearful for the people they work with, so they feel like they can't share their story. And sort of the last anonymous source was actually a phone call. We got a, a phone message that you, and you reached out to this person. Yes. Um, what do they have to say? They said kind of corroborating what Chardon Murray, Suzanne Baker, Sharon Smith, and Kumar Lakavani have all said that the administration makes it so hostile that it makes the person want to resign. So this person was just saying that I found solace in what, what you were saying, and this was my experience, too. And the last one, this was interesting because this gentleman who reached out to you and allowed you to use his name gave a deeper timeline for these issues. Yeah, James Talent, and he taught economics at the college from 1980 until 2011, and he was also the department chair at one time. He said, quote, amazing how some of the same old problems keep getting worse and worse. The one constant in all those years was the board of trustees. For the most part, they were well-intentioned, but have no notion of how to run a college. There exists a cycle of sycophantic actions where the president controls information to the board, and that makes both the board and the president look good. So the board feels good about themselves and the president, rewarding themselves with praise and the president with a new contract. So the president has an incentive to keep the board happy. Notice how the cycle described leaves no room for faculty input, student input, or complaints, end quote. Yeah. Um, I want to be fair here. Some of the feedback we got sort of took issue with yeah. the fact that we were you know, casting CFCC in a negative light, had positive things to say about the college. So I, I want to give that some weight, too. Yes. And I told these two women that I would, you know, I would love to share their comments. They're from two women that essentially come out of uh, business services and the small business center. They said that overall, the leadership is wonderful. The board's doing their job. Here is Christina Green. She's the vice president of business services. She said, quote, there are obviously some unhappy current and former employees, as there is everywhere. Some feel more inclined to draw attention to their cause. What you aren't hearing about is how many happy employees we have who loved coming to work and helping make students' lives better. We also respect and appreciate the leadership of Jim Morton. 
There are a lot of us in times like this when media outlets are so focused on the negativity at CFCC that I wonder why he does it. I would have left years ago. The attention you get from these types of stories must be rewarding or you wouldn't be doing them. But keep in mind the hundreds of employees you are hurting by reporting on us in such a negative light. So many good things happen here every day, and it takes all of us to make that happen, including the president and the board of trustees, end quote. You know, and this is, you know, this is a critique that we hear that, you know, reporters do this for the glory, that it's, you know, it's fun or it's good for your career to take down, uh, you know, institution or to at least, you know, cast aspersions at an institution. Um, we also heard uh, from Jeannie Hayes, who's also from, uh, she's uh, from the Small Business Center, right? Yes. She said, quote, I can say that I'm very involved in the community and I have never heard so much as one negative comment about Mr. Morton or the college. The same goes for my involvement with our team here at CFCC. You should also know that if I did, I would bring it to the attention of our team without so much as a hint of fear of retaliation, and they would make it right. It is what we stand for. It is a part of our culture, and Mr. Morton exemplifies that. Additionally, the person that designed the survey is Ms. Murray, and she is a disgruntled employee that ultimately resigned. It's impossible for that to be a fair assessment of the environment, end quote. And also, Christina also painted Chardon as someone who is not a reliable source and is out to get President Morton for no reason and basically saying that she's not a legitimate voice to be heard. I will say uh, a couple things on this on this matter. Uh, one is that the idea for the survey came from Peter Hans, who was the uh, at the time was the head of the uh, community college system in North Carolina. After WECT's reporting came out, as Ann mentioned in the first part of the show, several state and national outlets picked it up. Hans then suggested somewhat strongly that Cape Fear Community College do an independent third party survey of some sort to gauge the the climate. Um, And in your reporting and interviews with Chardon Murray, it came out that this effectively landed in her lap. It wasn't something that she undertook on her own. She sort of asked the upper administration, is this going to happen? And they said, well, that's your job. So she did it. She also built in a lot of safeguards into the survey. She went on at great length about how this is actually put together. She's a she teaches uh, sociology, so she kind of knows how these things she, work. She knows data science, yeah. Yeah, and it was you know there were safeguards against um, you know bias uh, against people disproportionately weighing COVID into you know because no one was happy under COVID. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and you know to keep the what's called the qualitative parts of these things uh, anonymous um, to sort of protect people's positive or negative comments. So we hear a lot whenever we do a story like this. One of the reasons, as you said, that a workplace climate story is so difficult. It is hard. Is that anyone who speaks up can be just painted as a unhappy employee. But I think it's worth reiterating what Chardon Murray and Susan Baker told you, which is that they loved Cape Fear Community College. They do. And um, they say the reason they said they went on the record is because they wanted to see things improve. And again, that's an open question to see if they do or if the administration and the board digs in and doesn't try to open up communication channels or show in good faith that they're looking for feedback from the faculty that's honest. And um, to mention the qualitative comments, the 570, I counted them up. Um, (laughs) There were a lot. Yeah, there were a lot. And a lot of sensitive information was blacked out and I could not tell who said what. So in the spirit of moving forward, um, you did talk about the future with uh, 
board of trustee member Jimmy Hopkins. What did he tell you? Yes, he said that he would look into providing agenda items before each board of trustee meeting for transparency reasons. He would also look into live streaming the meetings. This is something that I saw come up in the email exchanges that the faculty association has wanted this for a long time. He also said it would be a good idea to have a third party climate uh, survey. He wants the staff to answer it too, which is of course, yeah, important to do to, to get the whole college to weigh in on how they feel at working at CFCC. He also said that he would even bring up some of the issues with the handbook and open session potentially at their next board of trustee meeting, which I believe is September 23rd. And when he said when he got off the phone with me that he was going to call the president and discuss some of these issues with with him. And I emailed him after that and said, if you hear anything, please let us know. We'd love to share it with the community. And we also know that Suzanne Baker ha is um, intending to sue the college for pay discrimination. She went through the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission to get that letter to say that she has somewhat standing if she's going to sue. Yeah, so for people who are not familiar with this, uh, in North Carolina to, to sue for workplace issues, you go through the EOCC. They give you sort of a right to sue, um, and then you move forward usually in district and then into superior court so we will be watching that i know you'll be watching that yes um i also want to take this moment to note that you know our doors remain open our phones <laughs> remain active our yes. email inbox remains open to board of trustees members uh new and old uh to jim morton members of the administration uh we're easy to get a hold of we'll have contact information on the page and we'll just have to follow the story and see where it goes that's right all right rachel keith thank you so much for your time thank you for helping us unpack all of this Thank you, Ben. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of The Newsroom. Thanks to our guests, Ann McAdams and WHQR's own Rachel Keith, and our technical team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Fernell. If you missed part of this program, you can find it at whqr.org. And if you're listening on Friday, you can catch a rebroadcast on Sunday at 1 p.m. followed by Coastline. You can also now find the show as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom. <laughs>